All right, this morning, sorry about no handout, but that's my week. Um, so, but we do have a lesson and a sermon, so praise God. Um, today, though, we are talking about uh, urgency and patience in evangelism. So urgency and patience, and how do those two things uh, fit together? Um, because it is certainly something that, yeah, th- th- these are two, um, yeah, when you, when you read through the scriptures, these are two realities, uh, two uh, things that that ought mark our evangelism, but figuring out how to hold them together is often pretty, pretty difficult. Um, I, I don't know what, uh, what, that, what it looked like for the Lord to pursue you, but when I think back to how I became a Christian, uh, which was, uh, for me, some 21 years ago, uh, I, I, I can see both the patience and the urgency of, of men and women along the way and the way that God, God used that. Uh, so, for instance... Uh, after I became a Christian, the Lord gave a moment of clarity where I kind of just recounted my whole life as much as I could remember from every little instance along the way and things he used to kind of plant seeds. And uh, I counted some 17 people who had shared the gospel with me in some form or fashion and how I had just kind of didn't want it, but the Lord had continually just pursued me. And then the, one of the last people who shared the gospel with me was a friend named Dave, and I just remember his, his urgency when he came down and pleading with me uh, at, at a party at Virginia Tech uh, on Halloween, and how he was kind and gentle, but very forthright. Um, and I was a freight train running in the wrong direction. Um, but the Lord, in his kindness, um, yeah, Dave threw a, threw a log on the track. And, uh, you know, at first it irritated me. But the Lord, the Lord used it. So, um, and Dave was patient. He was urgent, but he was also patient. He knew that he couldn't change me. He knew that he couldn't argue me into it. So he just kept pointing me back to Jesus. And, um, and through all of that, I see both the, the urgency and the patience of the Lord that comes as he is the great evangelist working through us. And um, yeah, I think as we, we look at these things today, I trust the Lord will give, give grace. So... Um, so on the, one, on the one hand, we know the Lord can come at any moment or that people could die at any moment, right? Um, and that ought to create urgency to where when we're talking with people, we're like, this is something you need to think about right now. This is something you need to consider right now. This is something you need to respond to. And then on the other hand, we also realize that people rarely change quickly. How many of you share, received, yeah, how many of you trusted in Christ the first time you heard the gospel? Most people don't. Some people do. Some people, the first time they hear it, they're like, that was totally it, and praise God for that. Most people, it's not that way. It's a bit of a, it's a, bit of a, a process. Um, there's a process of sowing, sowing and watering and waiting upon God to change people. So let's talk about first urgency and then patience, and then we'll talk about how they, they kind of fit together and what it looks like in our, our lives. Okay. So first, when I talk about urgency in evangelism, Somebody want to try and give me a definition? How, give me a definition of urgency in the context of evangelism. What, what are some elements of that definition if we're going to try and create one? Not waiting until the next day that you see someone. Okay, so maybe, maybe a not waiting, not delaying, okay? Proactive and not maybe reactive. Okay, so let's, let's be proactive, intentional, um, not just reactive, okay, potentially. Okay, good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so realizing that there is a call of urgency 
um, from the Lord in His Word that we're to consider now, right? It's good. My attempt at a little definition of urgency and evangelism is um, to insist that people do not delay in responding to Jesus with thoughtful repentance and faith. So to insist, so this is, I, I originally had in there to push people. That sounds more aggressive than uh, maybe you want, but, but there is an, an appropriate aggressiveness. Now, some of y'all need to not hear that. You need to not hear what I said because y'all are a little too aggressive, okay? So there's a, there's a softness and a gentleness as, as, as well, right? But, but there needs to be an insistence, not an annoying insistence, but a persistence where, listen, this really matters, right? In the same way that if someone you know has signs of, of cancer, you really should go get that checked out. You really should go get that checked out. That same sort of thoughtful, loving insistence insistence uh, in which you're calling people to not delay in responding to Jesus, but I did couch it with, with thoughtful repentance and faith. So you're not just trying to get people to make a decision. That's not the goal. Jesus calls us to make disciples, not decisions. So making a decision to follow Jesus is part of the disciple-making process. There needs to be the, the turning from sin and trusting in Christ. There is a decision that needs to be made, right? At the same time, it needs to be thoughtful because there's way too many people who will just pray a prayer, check a box, say, okay, I'm going to do that without counting the cost or even just try to get somebody off their back. So I want to, I want to both apply pressure and then I want to remove pressure to allow people to feel the urgency, but then also to, to give them time to consider thoughtfully what's been said. That make sense? Okay. Um, so urgency, I think when we look through the scriptures, which we're about to do here, here in just a moment. So if you want to go ahead and go to Deuteronomy 32 for just a, just a moment. Um, as you're turning there, ur urgency, when we, when we look through these verses that we're about to, um, we're going to see urgency in evangelism is rooted in three basic realities, I think. The first is that God has spoken. That the God who made the world has spoken. He has said, um, He has given a word for us to obey. And that is, that's the call of the gospel, right? Secondly, that our, our situation is perilous. Meaning, apart from Christ, you are in great danger. You're in danger. And people need to know that. Um, John, well, uh, maybe I'll just even add that one in there. That'd be a good one. Um, yeah, pe people are in danger. Things are not okay in, in, in their life, okay? Um, and then thirdly, that Jesus is returning soon and will call us to account. Jesus is coming soon. So, so God has spoken, you're in danger, and Jesus is coming soon. Those three things uh, give us a perspective that is intended to fuel urgency in, in our evangelism. Okay? So what we're going to do is re we're going we're to start in Deuteronomy 32, and then we're going to hit one, two, three, four, five, six, six places in the Scripture that... As we go through these, I want to be clear, not all of these have to do with evangelism exactly. There's not actually a ton of verses about the urgency for evangelism, but I think you're going to see how these tie in um, as we go through. So let's first, Deuteronomy 32, 35, one of the most famous verses uh, from the Old Testament, uh, at least in regards to a sermon that's based upon this. Somebody read Deuteronomy 32, 35, please. Vengeance is mine and recompense. 
meaning God is going to bring vengeance against sinners. And the time for people's foot to slip is coming. And the day of calamity is at hand, where doom comes swiftly. It's at hand. It's coming swiftly. Anybody know what famous sermon is based on this text? Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God by uh, Jonathan Edwards, which was preached uh, uh, during the, the First Great Awakening. And um, this was yeah, a well-known sermon. You can read that. That whole sermon was about the urgency and the need to repent now because you don't know if you have another moment. Now, oftentimes, I know as a non-believer, this was the kind of stuff that kind of irritated me about Christians. Um, like, oh, you're just trying to scare me. You're just trying, this is your scare tactic, all that kind of stuff. And one of the things I just want to encourage you to remember is that to not shy away from things that God says is really important. God seems to think that the urgency of judgment that is coming is something that is important. And this is part of the way we love people, is to tell them that and to be clear about that. Okay. All right, fast forward to uh, Psalm 90. So, big book in the middle there, Psalm 90. Psalm 90. So, those words uh, from Deuteronomy are intended to remind those who hear that their time is is short, and we should feel that for them, right? Psalm 90, um, we're going to look at verses 10 through 12, is Moses' reflection on the time in the wilderness where Israel rejected God's word, and now judgment had fallen upon them, um, and he's seeing the, the shortness of life. He's been doing a lot of funerals, and it's given him some sobriety about life. And this is part of his conclusion here, which I think aids us as we think about urgency and evangelism. So Psalm 90, verses 10 through 12. Somebody read that for us. Good. So the years of our life are 70 or if you, you know, work out 80, I guess. You know, I mean, but, but the idea here is that we have a brief number of, of days. 70 or 80 years is, is gone. Now, if you're younger, you hear that and you're like, that's, not, that's a long time. If you're older, you're like, daggum, that's coming. You know, so and I'm at about that place where I'm at that mid place where I'm like, oh man, I've kind of made that, that corner. I'm like, that makes, that actually is more intimidating now than it used to be. That life is a vapor. It happens quickly, right? And Moses has been doing a ton of funerals as he's writing this, and he's watching, and he's remembering, oh, wow. Like, the sands of time are indeed sinking. It's going quickly. And the exhortation that he gives there in verse 12 is, is we should do what then? Number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. There is wisdom. There is wisdom that is received in re realizing our frailty, and I would say other people's frailty as well, and the fact that life is quick and that it goes away swiftly. So in light of that, it is wise to realize time is short and to act in light of that. So judgment is coming, we know that. We also know that our time, our lives are short and that it's going to end. And it may be 70 or 80, it may be 50, it may be 30, it may be the next minute. So anytime I'm sharing the gospel with somebody, I want to be really clear, hey, Listen, I'm not going to try and pressure you into a decision, but you've got to realize the fact is that you could die today. And again, I'm not trying to scare you into making a decision for Jesus, but there's something humble 
There's a humility that, that is aware that, that God sustains our hearts. He makes them beat. And every breath that we get is mercy. And that at any moment, He could take that away. And we are indebted to Him. So I encourage you to consider this word from Him about Jesus and your need to turn from your sin and to believe upon Him. Right? So there's urgency because our days are short. Now let's go over to Matthew chapter 24 for a moment. Matthew 24. Jesus in His teaching about the end of days um, gives some several helpful pictures here in, as, he's, as He's teaching to His, to his disciples. I think paint the picture of the reality of the, His swift return and the danger of delaying a response to Him. Matthew 24. Who'd read for us verses 36 down through, let's just go through 44. 36 through 44. Who can read that for us? But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. Pause. And he's talking the day, that day, speaking of the return of Christ and the judgment of all things. Okay, keep going. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. So pause. Jesus says, I want you to remember what? Noah. Because, by the way, Jesus, Jesus thought Noah was a real thing. <laughs> and the flood was a real thing. Um, and he says, it was an illustration to the world that a flood of judgment is coming. It came once and it's going to come again. Peter, who was here for this sermon, uh, will pick this up in his second letter. Second Peter chapter 3 uses this same exact illustration to, to remind us of the need to repent because judgment is coming. This time it won't be a flood of water, though. It'll be a flood of fire, right? So, and, and notice here, what was everybody's attitude in those days again there in verse 38? Just doing what everybody does today. Tweeting and drinking and eating and vacation and doing what I mean this is just what people do acting like nothing's coming even though there was a warning that judgment's coming right so he's saying that's a dangerous attitude is to act like eh, I'll get to it later that's a terrifying attitude keep going verse 40 then two men will be in the field one will be taken and one left two women will be grinding at the mill one will be taken and one left therefore stay awake for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. Okay, so he gives this picture of men and women who are going about their daily lives, working, right? Um, and he says, one will be taken away, which in this context is taken away in judgment, and the other will be left to be with the Lord. So you actually want to be left behind, uh, which is a little bit backwards from what some of us have heard. But um, you're going to be swept away in judgment, just like everybody was in Noah's day. Um, and you're going, you want to be to be remaining with the Lord. But, but the idea here is that people are just going to be going about normal daily life. And then boom, keep going. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. You don't expect it. You don't know when. He is coming at any moment. And again, this is, you see both the return of Christ can come at any moment, and when He does, we know that judgment is coming with Him, and we know that our days are short. You can feel the reality. This is important. 
You don't know when. Now, another word that I think is helpful here on our own, um, that I've, I've found very often is helpful in evangelism. Go over to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. And the one after this will be Acts 17, and these will be the, the rest of the, the verses that we'll use for this section. John chapter 3. John chapter 3.16 is one of the more well-known verses uh, from, from the Bible. It's more well-known in days gone by, but it certainly is still uh, one that, that might, yeah, might be recognizable by, by people who aren't normally in, in church. Um, somebody read for us verses 16 down through 18. And I'll interrupt you as we go. John 3.16 through 18. So this is good news, right? Good news of the gospel is that God gave His Son, Jesus, and that whoever believes in Him will not perish, not meaning physical death, but meaning perish for eternity and judgment, but rather will have, will have eternal life, right? Keep going. Right, so in Jesus' first coming, when He came, He did not come to condemn the world. He came to die for the world. He was condemned on behalf of sinners in His first coming, right? Then He rose and He will return. And when He comes a second time, He will not come as a lamb, but He will come as a lion. But now, verse 18 is, I've found, a very helpful verse for giving a bit of sobriety to people we're talking about in regards to their they're standing with the Lord right now, okay? Because before you read this verse, what do most people tend to think about where they are with the Lord? Um, if, they're, if they're not a believer, they're probably, they're, good. they're probably good. Or what's another thing you can hear often? Uh, yeah, I'm undetermined. And you know what? I'll, I'll see when I get there. If he's real, then I'll accept him. I've heard that many times, right? Well, Jesus wants to be really clear. That's not a good bet. Go ahead, read verse 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Did you catch that? If you do not believe in Christ, it's not a we'll see what happens. He says it's already happening. You are already condemned right now. So right now, before God, if you have not repented of your sins and trusted in Christ and believed upon Him, right now, you are condemned. The verdict is in. You are judged. That's a sobering reality. And I think that's helpful to, to show to people. Just open the verses and be like, can I just show you three verses that talk about the good news and the severity of what we're talking about right here? And show them, but, the, that's, but Jesus came. <laughs> That's why he came, is to rescue us, right? Then finally, um, Acts 17. So, um, Acts 17, verses 30 through 31. Acts 17, 30 through 31. This is Paul um, in Athens preaching. Uh, he is, he's, begun, he's had conversations with them about what he sees going on in their culture. Um, and then, though, when he gets opportunity, as he begins to speak... Look where he goes in his conversation with them. So he does not just stop in being culturally relevant. He does not just stop in observations about their life. He does not just stop in, in happy discussions about religion. But he, or, or the differences in religion even. 
he goes to a decision point. Somebody read for us verses 30 and 31 of, of Acts 17. Good. What two words uh, ought stand out to you, or maybe maybe might stand out to you in verses thirty and thirty-one, um, or words or phrases stand out that have to do with urgency? Okay. Good. So there is a command that's here, and and tell me when does he command it? Now he commands. So God's been patient in the past. He's not just destroyed the world. He's not given everybody what they deserve. But now. He's given Christ who took what sinners deserve and He's raised from the dead and He's coming back and now He commands everywhere. Everyone everywhere. Notice it's, this is not a just, Christianity is not just a Western white man's religion. This is for all people everywhere. Everyone to repent of their sins and to believe. Right? Alright, and what, what else? What other word might you in verse 31? He's fixed a day. There's a day coming. This will not just go on forever. But there is an end point. Right? So he commands now, and there's a day coming. And you can feel the weight of both of those. And what Paul thinks that should, should lead us to do is to cry out for people everywhere to repent and to come to the knowledge of, of the truth. Now, there's lots of other verses we could look to. Uh, 2 Corinthians 6 speaks about today is the day of salvation. Hebrews 3 and 4, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Um, but I want to ask you guys, what, do you, what hinders... What hinders your urgency in evangelism? So when we hear these verses, it's kind of hard to be like, hey, you know, I don't think it's that big a deal. I don't think we need to be urgent. So, so what is it that hinders our urgency in evangelism? I think it's just the, the hard part of trying to find the balance of what like Karen's trying to do, building that relationship and not you know, forcing that relationship away or forcing to be able to continue it. You don't want to be so urgent. Good. So, so if, there, if there's three reasons that we might not be urgent, I think that is the most um, godly of the reasons. So that's, that's probably the, go- the godliest reason, which I think is a real reason. Like, Karen really cares about her friend. She really loves her friend. She really wants to know what's the balance between push and wait. I don't know because I don't want to push them away, right? That's a real godly good concern, and I think when that's there, that's, that's good. What can that quickly translate into? What, how could that morph itself sinfully? How could your flesh grab a hold of that and twist it? Fear of man, Fear of man right? So I think one of the reasons um, that, we, that we're not as urgent in our pleading with people is because we have an insecure desire to not offend people. We like people. We, like, we want to be liked, right? Now, some of us don't have that at all, and that can make us rude. <laughs> That's not the goal either, right? Um, but, yeah, there, is, there can be a real temptation um, to not be one of those Christians, whatever those Christians are, that we don't want to be the offensive, pushy, naggy Christians, okay? I get that, and that's why when I'm talking to people, I'm be like, here, listen, I don't know what your experience, what's been your, I don't even ask, what's your experience been with Christians 
when they're talking to you about, about Jesus and what he wants from you? Has it been good? Has it been negative? What's been good? What's been negative? And sometimes they can help you to feel it out. You'd be like, listen, everybody's always just turn or burn, and that's all I ever hear from people. Um, so then I might be a little bit more patient, right? But I might also say, I mean, listen, the turn and burn guys, listen, I don't know how that went. In one sense, they're really right, though. And I want to give them that because I don't want to discount truth. But I want to say, but listen, we wanna, I'm going to be patient because this is not just trying to get you to make a decision kind of thing, right? So I, I think there's that. What's another one? And I think this might be one in, in theological reason that's kind of in our, you, you had something else. No, I don't. Okay. It might not be the one you want. Maybe not. So I think that's, that can go with the good loving concern that if you know your own, yeah, temptations toward being, being manipulative. So it'd either be like, because I really love them or because I think I can like make them do stuff and I don't want to just get a fleshly response. Well, okay, good. Right. Yeah, no, that's, that's good. That's good. That's good. What other theological thing? Very theological. Okay. Okay, so you never ex- experienced that kind of situation personally, where you're like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die and, and I'm, judgment's coming, which that was something very real for me. I became very convinced of the realities of, of evil and hell and Satan, and that, that for me sobered me to, to see I need, I need a savior. Um, and yeah, so, but if you've never felt that, that might, might be difficult. But the scriptures, I think, can, can give you that, but not having that personal experience is good. So since no one's reading my mind, um, what I'm looking for here is, I think, an inconsistent understanding of God's sovereignty. To where you can just say, hey, listen, God's going to save who he's going to save. So I don't need to be pushy here. I mean, like, I can, I can be patient. God's going to get him, you know. Um, and if it's not me, if I miss it, it's fine. God will have somebody else lined up because he's sovereign. Like, that's a bad, that's a bad way to think about God's sovereignty. No, God sovereignly put you there to talk to him. <laughs> and um, we should feel the responsibility to be urgent in our conversations with people. So, um, now you may have, you may have other, any other reasons that we've, that I've missed? Yeah? I, I, on a similar line, I would say that, you know, we ask and don't believe what we are preaching to others. Okay, so there may be a disconnect. Yeah, we don't believe that, you know, yeah, the message has the power, you know, to save people. Okay, yeah, so, so urgency may, um, yeah, may be sapped. If there's disbelief in our heart about whether this is really true, that's good. Yeah. I think along those lines too, like, you know, you, you would say you know that God's doing that because the world our experience is that He hasn't done it. So that can kind of give us a false balance of not being yeah. yeah. Yeah, so so maybe we've just been laboring at this for a long time and have never just seen God save somebody. And it can be really discouraging, right? Which one of, this is one of the reasons I think a class like this can be helpful is because we've got to remember that God is calling the church to be the evangelists. So we're actually all in this together. So it's not like when somebody gets up and they share a story of things that went really well, they're like, oh, I'm so awful. It's, that, is, that is not the right response. The right response is, praise God, he's working with us. So we, we, I think it's, it's helpful to do this in this context, because this is not about comparison. That's fleshly worldliness. We don't want to get into that nonsense. Um, but we want to be encouraged by what God's doing, 
um, and, and jump in and pray and jump in and ask God to do things, right? So that's good. Um, so all, all that to say, um, I think we need to remember that the gospel that is proclaimed in our evangelism um, is a personal confrontation with a sinner and God. We're helping that to happen. We're helping, we're helping the confrontation of, of God and a sinner to, to we're, we're basically introducing them. Like, this is who Jesus is. This is what he's done. This is what he says. And we're not asking people to get on what I believe. But we're saying, talk to him. Speak to him. Hear from him. Respond to him. So you're not trying to get people to respond to you. You're trying to get them to respond to Jesus and the message of Christ. Um, and that, that requires, requires urgency. So we want to plead and persuade with, with people to flee to Jesus with urgency. And, and just think of it also this way, if, you, if, you, if it would help you to think of something negatively here. Let's not be guilty of aiding and abetting spiritual complacency or indifference. We want to never walk away from a conversation to where they might think, you know what, I don't think it's that big a deal. That's, we don't want to do that. Now, it doesn't mean you need to yell at people. It doesn't mean you need to scream. But there's an urgency and an earnestness that people can sense um, if you really mean it. And this is where, again, Prasoon, thank you for bringing that up. I think pray in all the ways that you doubt that God would give you grace. And you don't want to act like it. Be like, oh, please. You know, like, don't do any of that. Ask God to make it come from the heart to where you really love these people um, and you're sharing with, with that sort of urgency. Any final question on urgency before we move on to, to patience for a moment? Anything that you think that we, we missed here that might be helpful? Or any question that you have about urgency? Can you answer Ask it again. So I am, I'm hesitant, so well, I think there's two, so with children, with my children, there's a lot of spiritual interest in our house among two and a half kids, um, one's, you never know which one you're going to get, um, and, but they're in a pastor's house, where they, from the moment they've said Jesus, they get pictures and Instagrammed and all that kind of nonsense, and that's not, in one sense, helpful for them. So we, we make that really clear to them that, hey, listen. Following Jesus is, a, is real, and it's, this is something that you've got to think through. Like, mommy, mommy and daddy loving Jesus does not, like, count for you. You've got to make your own decisions. So when they, they'll say stuff like, and you've got to start at the, I mean, you get, I'll question kids. Like, so why do you think that? They'll, they'll say something about, like, well, Jesus loves me. I'd be like, why do you think that? And be like, well, you told me. I was like, that's true. But, but where does that come from? Like, mommy and daddy are wrong on some things. Like, we believe that with all our heart. Um, but do you believe the Bible? And for, as they've gotten older, I've asked, why do you believe the Bible? What makes it different than other books? So I'm not trying to like, lead them astray, but I want them to wrestle with the questions that they're going to face for the rest of their lives. So 
I don't want to just pull a fleece and always just be clapping. I want to be questioning and pressing in the same way that Jesus, he, he drops questions on people and like, see you later. <laughs> like, are you really saved? See ya. And they're like, oh, I don't know. You know, I mean, you don't want to do that exactly with your children because that could <laughs> cause some issues. Um, but, but, but I think it's okay for them to wrestle with stuff. To where I mean, we'll have conversations after discipline and be like, listen, I just want you to remember, like, this is, there is a day when you're going to have to answer to God and he knows everything. And he knows whether you told me the truth or not. I don't know everything. I'm praying that you'll see it. I love you. And I'll leave him with that and just, just let it be. So I want to affirm things that we see. If we see faith, I want to I I encourage it and want to pray that God would fan it. I try to not press people for decisions. Um, I, I want to bring them to, hey, you need to, you need to repent and believe in Christ. And if somebody says, yeah, I think I do, be like, now hold on, wait. Do you understand what I'm asking you to get into? Yeah, anybody, you know, I mean, yeah, so I mean, and I think it's evangelism with children is is uniquely challenging because they're wired to receive guidance from adults. And this is one of the reasons we're slow to baptize children here, because children are grown up. They're grown up in a place where everybody is praising Jesus, and that's the cool thing to do. And nobody's ever told them they're an idiot for following Jesus yet. And there's something about testing that's really helpful. So, yeah. so I think don't put pressure on kids to just make decisions for Jesus. I don't think that's super helpful. I want them to, I want them to, I want to press them, though, to consider Jesus. And, and any little bit of faith I see, I want to encourage it. I don't want to be like, ah, oh, that might not be real. I'll be like, no, nah, don't do that. Like, encourage it. Fan into flame. Pray with them. Thank God for whatever's happening. But then, I think, I think be patient. And then with adults, um, yeah, I just leave people all the time with, here's, here's how you can respond to him so that they know what to do. And then say, if you wanna follow up with that, I'd love to talk with you about that. And if you can sense somebody real, like I'm ready to do that, I desire to do that, then yeah, like then let's, then, then if you wanna pray and tell God what, and thank him for what he's done in your heart, not a prayer to receive Christ, because that's not how it works. You don't actually pray to receive Christ. You pray because you've received Christ, like he's changed your heart, you've been born again, you now see. So it's not this prayer that saves you, it's Jesus that saves you. And if you've trusted in him, then let's go to him and thank him for that and, and ask him to show you more. So, depends on the person, yes. Yeah, I wanna leave him, I think urgency can be, here's something I want you to think about before now and the next time we, we go. So that was the last conversation I had with Mohammed, um, uh, a guy that I met with for lunch. My question for him was about how can Allah be, be just and not have a cross? Like, I don't understand it. And we talked about that. And I want him to think about it because I think it's a real issue. And, and I'm happy for him to, to think about it. So, good question. Hope that helps. Patience. We're going to try to swiftly talk about patience. Um, how would you define it if you're going to define patience here in regards to evangelism? Okay, good. So it's a transfer of trust from yourself and your ability to get people to do it to trust God with the process of what he's doing in somebody's life. Right. Good. Anybody else? Okay, yeah. Which is the same kind of love that we've received from Christ. So as Christ has loved us, so we so love others patiently, steadfastly. Good. Realizing who, who actually does it, good. Yeah, so I, I, I said to, to entrust people and their responses to the Lord who can change them whenever He chooses. To entrust people and their responses to the Lord who can change them whenever He 
He chooses. So you need to trust in Christ. You need to trust in Christ. Here's the gospel. I'm happy to talk with you at any time. And then go to sleep. Then just keep praying and trusting. You know? And, 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 and wait upon the Lord to move. Right? Um, in light of time, we'll do it this way. Um, what are the two metaphors that Jesus most regularly uses in the Gospels for evangelism? There's two metaphors that he most regularly uses. Somebody, somebody go to Matthew chapter 4 and somebody go to Mark chapter 4. Anybody know what the, where we're going? I'm sorry, what was it? Okay, so farming is one metaphor and, and fishing. Fishing and farming are the two metaphors that Jesus uses in evangelism. Now, how many of you have ever been fishing? All right. Uh, or just maybe not catching, but you've been fishing anyway, right? So there's, there's patience that's required in fishing. How many of you ever farmed or gardened or planted anything, right? Yeah, so there's patience required. It doesn't just happen overnight. Both of the metaphors that Jesus uses for evangelism are lessons in patience. Somebody read for us Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. Jesus' words to the disciples early on. That's fine. Yep, good. Follow me, and I'm going to teach you how to fish. But not for fish anymore, Peter. I'm going to teach you how to be fishers of men. Which implies, in the same way, a sort of patient pursuit of people. Right? In which we seek to... To catch them out of darkness and bring them into the kingdom of God. Okay? Good. Mark chapter 4, 26 through 29. One of my favorite passages for both evangelism and pastoring. This is one I come back to all the time. Somebody read this for us. Good. Tell me about this guy. What does he do? What's he, what's he do? What's this, what's this farmer do? He scatters seed on the ground. That's gospel seed. It's the evangelism, right? We're sowing seed on the ground. And then what's he do? He goes to sleep. That's the work of the evangelist, to scatter and to sleep. Trusting in God to make it grow because he can't make it grow. Sure, you can put some fertilizer on there. Sure, you can water it. Sure, you can make sure that the rabbits aren't coming in. So there, there is other effort there, obviously. But his trust is not in himself because he can't make it grow. All he can do is what he can do. I think this is a super helpful picture in evangelism. This is our job. There is urgency because Christ is returning. The call to repent has been given. We should repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Here's the good news of the gospel. I'm happy to talk with you about it any time that you want. But here's a question that I leave you with. And this is one of the we'll get to in a later lesson. I'm always trying to leave people with questions, things to think about. And then we trust 1 Corinthians 3, 7, that, you know, um, uh, I planted, Apollos watered, God gave the growth. God's going to make it grow. And that we are together evangelizing. We're sowing, there's watering, there's different prayers. And I mean, like I said, somebody shared the gospel. 17 different people shared the gospel with me. There was a lot of sowing and watering that was going on and the God gave the growth and Dave saw it. But everybody else shouldn't be discouraged because it worked. And they played their part in it. 
So just remember, you're playing a part in what God is doing. He's the great evangelist. So we should be heralding the gospel and sowing and watering. Um, 2 Timothy 4, preach the word, be ready in in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience. With patience. So rebuke, reprove, correct, teach, instruct, answer questions about dinosaurs and whether Adam and Eve had belly buttons and all the things that people will ask you, but you do it patiently, trusting that God's working, pointing them back to Jesus, back to Jesus. Consider Him, consider Him. Now, what are, as we close, what are a couple things that might help your patience in evangelism? If, if we are fishing and we're farming, patiently proclaiming and waiting upon God, what are a few things? I have three. I'm sure you guys will come up with some other better ones. Uh, what are some things that help you to be patient? Regularly thinking and praying and meditating on God's goodness towards us. Good, yeah. So, and I'll tie that into one of the other ones that I have was sharing testimonies regularly with each other. Hearing my own testimony or hearing the testimonies of other believers is super encouraging to help us to remember that it's a process and that, you know what, all of us are in process right now. I mean, God's still working on all of us, but in drawing us to himself. So, yes, regularly reflect on God's mercy toward you and in the community, listen to one another's stories. It will remind you of God's patience. Good. What's another thing? Okay, yeah. And how would you know that he's sovereign? He's the one who's good. How do you know? Yeah, it's a Bible. Read the Bible. Um, so, because from the Bible, you get truths about God that you kind of think you know, but there's something about freshly hearing from him through his word day in and day out that feeds your soul with knowledge about him and trusting him and waiting upon him. God feeds you through his word. And accompanied with that also... Pray. This is, we are to pray. There is something about casting it upon the Lord to where you're going you're gonna to probably pray and, and, and weep over your friend. And, and, you sh- and you should. That's the right response. And asking God, please change her heart, right? But we want, as we're praying, we're casting our anxieties upon the Lord, knowing that He cares for us and that He will save His people. So as we're reading God's Word, it reminds us of who He is. As we're praying, to God about things we learn in His Word and the, in the opportunities that He's given us. It removes anxiety and fear, but it also emboldens us to be able to, to proclaim with urgency. And then share your testimonies with one another and hear how God's done this in other people's lives. And really, only God can hold these two things together. Um, and if you know you're going to lean one way or the other, uh, if, you, if you tend to be super urgent but not patient, ask for God to give you grace and talk to one another about that. If it's the other way, um, that you're like, I think I'm a little too patient sometimes, and I'm not pressing people. Ask for people to help you, to encourage you in, in that as well. What final questions might you have from, from this section? Yeah. I, I actually have a request. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a dinner the other night with my daughter's boyfriend, and we talked about God the whole dinner. And he's just, he's so ignorant. And I would love to have a class, one of these classes on all the Mm-hmm. And I'd love to be equipped to, to get those questions out of the way so they can really start considering the truth of who Jesus is. Yeah. And, and I, we're happy to do some, some stuff on apologetics in the, um, in, in the spring. One thing I always try and say, be like, I, I want to ask people, okay, so if I could answer all your questions about the dinosaurs, would, would you, and, and I got those out of the way, 
you still got to deal with Jesus. So I'm, I'll, let, can I come back to these and tell you the most important thing to wrestle with? So I always want to try and keep it focused on Jesus because you can get in the weeds really quickly. Um, not be dismissive and actually try and come back with their questions. Um, but yeah, happy to, happy to try and do some of that. Warner? Yeah, so we, we actually have a whole class on long-term relationships and how we should do that. We're going to we'll probably wait. Then. I, I think just continue to pray. Make sure you've had a clarifying conversation so everybody knows where you stand. And then confuse them with your patience and charity toward them when they're not doing what you want them to do. Um, does that make sense? So, I mean, as the holidays are coming up, I think some of you haven't had clarifying conversations yet with some family members. And it may be the right time. It may not be, but it may be. Or others of you had, and you don't need to every time you see him be like, I'm going to tell you about Jesus again. Now, everybody's had that uncle who does that, and praise God for him. You know, they all have their role in the body. Um, may not always be the wisest, but we'll, we'll flesh some of that out in that, in that class. Time has evaporated. Um, thank you for your patience on that. Who would pray for us as we, as we head out? Praying specifically that God would soften hearts, open doors, and that we'd see people come to know him. Who can pray for us? All right, thank you. Amen. All right. God bless y'all. We'll see you next week.